You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. So get your Bible out, get your notes out. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we're going to tee off tonight's message. We've been in a series on the classics of our faith. We're talking about foundational theological truths because you need to know these things. And too many, I'm I'm telling you, too many churches, youth ministries, Christians in general are growing up and they're growing in their faith, but they don't know hardly anything about the faith that they walk in and that they serve and the God that they serve. And so what we're doing is we're just trailing through the pillars of our faith as believers, we're just dialing down everything you need to know, but it's not just about like filling our heads with facts and knowledge about God and just seeming all smart and stuff. This is about causing all of us to fall in love more with Jesus. Does anybody want to grow in their faith tonight? If that's you, then lean in with me. I need you to take some notes, follow along. If you're sitting next to somebody that you know is gonna tempt you to uh, talk or do whatever. I don't know. Move seats, but we honor that, y'all. I've seen people literally get up when I say that and move, and we honor that. So, if you need to do that, now is your time. But we're uh, we're uh, we're gonna do really a continuation of last week's message. This is like a part two. Can somebody tell me the doctrine that we covered last week? Yes, Jesus is always the answer, right? If you just say Jesus, you're probably right. We covered the doctrine of Christ, the person of Jesus, and we dove deep into the miracle, the theological miracle that God is currently right now, Jesus right now, in this very moment, he is fully God and he is fully human. Right now, think about that. The human Jesus, the physical resurrected body of Jesus is sitting next to the Father in heaven, sitting on his throne, and yet, at the same exact time, his spirit is here. And we say this all the time, but it, 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 it rings true. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, I don't know exactly how that works. I just know Jesus is awesome, and Jesus is worth your worship. And we looked at that last week, and we talked about the practical effects that knowing the humanity and the, the godness of Jesus, how knowing those things should practically impact your life. And so if you missed that message, you can go back and listen to that. You can actually listen to all of our messages on Spotify, Wherever you listen to podcasts, do we have any podcasters in the house? So if you listen to podcasts, you need to make sure you follow New Song Students OKC on that app so you can uh, get back on any message that you miss. Or if you just want to go back and you haven't been to any of these, you can listen to all of those. But tonight's doctrine is a part two of last week. We talked about the person of Christ. We talked about the work of Christ, how on the cross and through Jesus's life, he didn't just die for your sins, but he lived for your righteousness. Do you remember that? We talked about how Jesus didn't just die the death we deserve, he lived the life we could never live. And so that means, this is an amazing truth that too many believers don't walk in. That means that the moment you got saved, you instantly, all of your sins from past, present, and future, wiped clean. That's pretty cool, right? Wiped clean, your your, your debt is completely paid the moment you give your life to Jesus, the moment you're born again, but that's not, it, it's a buy one, get one free package with Jesus. You don't just get your sins wiped away, you get his righteousness. Think about that, like the righteousness of Christ. Jesus 
never sinned. Jesus was perfect. So when you become a believer in Jesus, you don't just get your, your history wiped away. You get to put on the righteousness of Christ. That means God sees you and he sees the performance of Jesus. Hello. That's amazing, right? Somebody say, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so we're talking about what happens after that. That moment of salvation sounds like God kind of does everything right there. We get our sins wiped away instantly. We get to put on the righteousness of Christ. Now what? What do you do after that? Well, this is exactly what we're talking about tonight, New Song students, because at the moment that that happens, that's called salvation. Tonight we're talking about this thing called sanctification. Ooh, the doctrine of sanctification. Somebody say that, sanctification. That's a fun word. That'll make you sound real smart. All right, For, or 2 Corinthians chapter three. This is where we're gonna kick off this message. You have heard, if you've been going to New Song for a while now, you probably have this scripture memorized in your heart. Let's read it. You don't have to read it with me, but you can read it along with me. Check this out on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord, there is, somebody say that word. Freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Does that ring a bell for anybody? That's where we got the name of our being transformed journals. We are all being transformed into what? into the same image, talking about Jesus, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Y'all ready to talk about sanctification tonight? Let's do this. All right, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We're gonna posture our hearts, silence distractions, and ask God to speak to us tonight. So, Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, God. All of your ways are perfect. And we just want to silence ourselves before you tonight because we know that you are not a God who is distant. You are not a God who is far, but you are near and you are close and you want to talk to us. And so I thank you for every heart in this room. I thank you for every student. I thank you for every leader. Thank you for every person in this place. And God, we say, would you break up the hardness of our hearts? Would you break up the hardness of the day that we experienced? Silence distraction, God, and tune up the volume of your voice, God. As we dive into your word, teach us what it looks like to walk in all of the freedom that you paid for on the cross, Jesus. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name and all my people said. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, growing up, you got to know this about me. I grew up in this really weird tension where um, I was between, I was being pulled between two different things. Okay, so I grew up with a massive phobia, massive fear of public speaking. Does anybody hate public speaking? The thing that I'm doing right now? Anybody like would never want to do this right now? Raise your hand. Nice, loud, and proud. Yes. All right. So I grew up in this tension. I was deeply afraid of public speaking, talking in front of people. And at the same time, I had a superpower. Did y'all know your boy Jackson has a superpower? I got a superpower, y'all, for real. I'm not playing. This superpower is crazy. You want to know what it is? Okay. Whenever I'm anxious, whenever I'm stressed out, whenever I'm embarrassed, I can make my face turn as red as a tomato. <laughs> Does anybody else blush? New Song students, raise your hand if you blush in this place. Okay, 
If you blush, then you know what I'm talking about when I say that's actually not a superpower. That is a curse from the devil, all right? <laughs> Straight up curse. It is from the Garden of Eden. That's the original sin. Gingers and all the white people, we blush, all right? I guess not all the white people, but I'm one of those unlucky white guys that I blush when I get anxious. And it's like, it's so funny because it's like the worst superpower ever because it's like if you were afraid of heights and the Lord blessed you with the superpower of flying, you'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. That's how I feel with blushing. Like, it's the worst thing ever. And I remember uh, one particular time where uh, I blushed really bad and um, it really messed with me. It was eighth grade English class. Who's in eighth grade English right now? It's the best, you know, best time of your life. This is your prime years, eighth grade English. And I had to do a book report. And I was absolutely dreading this book report. Did not, did not want to do this for two reasons. Number one, because I didn't want to mess up and look like a dummy in front of all my classmates and, and embarrass myself and blush. But if I'm being honest, I also didn't want to do it because I most likely did not read the book. So I was gonna be spark noting everything and figuring it out. But you know, you can't avoid book like book reports. At some point, you gotta do the speech, right? So it becomes my time to shine. I've got to present this speech about a book that I've probably skimmed through. And I go up there to present this speech to my class. And um, I'm doing pretty good, honestly. I was like surprised. I was like, okay, Jackson, you got this big dog. You preaching good. Preaching this book about, uh, you know, whatever book we were reading in eighth grade English class. But then all of a sudden, at some point in the middle of my speech, I froze. Like I tripped up on my words. I forgot where I was going. And I just like, yikes, y'all, yikes. So I'm frozen. Don't know what to do. I'm dying inside. My brain is going crazy right now. But on the outside, I'm frozen. And you will not believe what my teacher did in this moment. My teacher just wanted to clarify to everybody what was happening in the moment. And so she was like, Jackson, are you sunburnt right now? Like, who, who does that? Obviously, this kid is blushing, this poor kid. So, I, you know, I didn't even know what to say in this moment. I'm like, no, I'm not sunburnt. And so one of my, one of my fellow students wanted to help her brother out. And he was like, no, he's blushing. <laughs> Which, if you blush, you know that when somebody says that word, you just get more red. You just get even more, I don't even know how it's possible, but I got even more red. And it was, it was bad, y'all. It was so bad. I was, looking back, it's funny now, but man, that was, a, that was a dark moment for little Jackson. In fact, because I was little before high school, y'all. And so, it was, seriously, I was dark, and I left that encounter. I left that experience saying something deep into my heart. I said, I will never let that happen again. Like, if, it, if, it ha if I have the power to never let that happen again, I will do whatever it takes to never let that happen again. Never be embarrassed like that. Never be put in front of a crowd. I will not do it. I made, like, an inner vow in my heart. And from that moment on, I actually started, like, ordering my life around this bad encounter that I had, this bad experience that I had, I started to believe that that's how I was wired, that I just can't do that, that that's just not what Jackson does. And so fast forward a couple years, it's my senior year of high school, I end up getting born again, I give my life to Jesus, 
I'm on like the stairs of one of my friend's houses. We're in a Bible study and I just, it's just by myself. I just was looking at everybody else praying to Jesus. And I was like, I do not have what they have. I've been playing church and I don't have what they have. So I gave my life to Jesus. And in that moment, how many of you know when you, you make Jesus the Lord of your life, that means you're no longer the boss, right? So I'm no longer the boss. So that means the Lord is starting to work on this area of my life, this fear that is driving me. So that's my senior year of high school. Fast forward a couple more years. I'm going in, I'm in college. I'm going to school at the King's University in Texas. I'm studying um, biblical counseling. And it was during this year of my life that I received my call into ministry. And my call into ministry was not like the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove with a post-it note that said, Jackson, you're going to move to OKC and be a youth pastor at New Song, New Song Church. Like, that's not, that's not how it happened. It wasn't super spiritual. I got a literal phone call from my good friend, Pastor David Terry, who loves David Terry. We love our worship pastor, and he called me. We knew each other from Gateway, and so I'm on my way to work, and he calls me, and he's like, hey, Jackson, um, we haven't been able to start a youth ministry since we planted the church, and we're looking to doing that this year, and um, you were the first person that came to mind. So what do you think? You want to you wanna move up and be the youth pastor of New Song Church? And you want to know what my insides were saying? Heck to the no. Heck no. There ain't no way I'm going to be a youth pastor. There is just no way. But I, I did what all of us do when we don't want to give people an answer right then, and I said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> Who's ever done that before? You're like, I'll pray about it, which means I'm not going to remember until you bring this up again. And then I'm going to have to make an, a gut decision, right? <laughs> so I said, I'll pray about it. But when I said that, man, I knew, I knew the answer was yes. Before I hung up the phone, I knew the answer was yes. And it sounds silly now thinking about it, but the one reason why I didn't want to say yes to that call of ministry on my life was because youth pastors have to talk in front of people. That's it. Like, I wasn't afraid of moving to a different city. I wasn't afraid of making new friends. I wasn't afraid of any of those, that stuff. I was afraid of talking in front of people. That little thing that happened to me was driving the bus of my heart, and I didn't want to move. I didn't want to obey God. I didn't want to do what God was calling me to do because of a past experience that happened in my life. Now, I think all of us at a time in our life, either you're in it right now or you will be one day, you're going to find yourself in attention just like I found myself in seven years ago, where God is wanting to take you in this direction, but the way you think you're wired, the way you think your preferences are, the way you think your identity is, it might be telling you that you're going in this opposite direction. So what do you do? What do you do as a believer when God is trying to take you this way, but everything in you wants to go this way? What do you do? Well, this is where sanctification comes into play. This is where God brings freedom into our life. He starts to strip away things that are driving the bus of our heart when Jesus needs to be driving the bus of our heart. And so we're going to be looking at tonight just two things tonight. I just want to look at the what is sanctification and then the how are we sanctified question. All right, you guys want to do this with me? Are you leaning in with me still? What is sanctification and how are we sanctified? To kick this off, I got a couple quotes for y'all because y'all know I'm a big quote guy. So if you're taking notes or you want to take a picture of these quotes, get your phone ready. But this first one's awesome. Ian Thomas says this, to be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. 
So when we are in Christ, that's what happens in salvation. We are in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. But to, for, for Christ to be shaped and molded in your life, for you to look like Jesus to your friends, that is the process of sanctification. David Guzik says this. I love this quote so much. God uses the new covenant to make us transformed people, not just nice people. You know, being a Christian is not about just like giving a good tip at a restaurant and like holding the door open for people and saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Like being a Christian means God is going to transform you. He's going to change you, right? My grandfather, I love this quote from him, Alphonse Castellana. Man, what a name, Alphonse Castellana. He says this, what we are is God's gift to us. What we become is our gift to God. I love that. And then I say this, this is me. Uh, sanctification is not about becoming someone you are not. It is about aligning your outward life to match up with your inner life. So what is sanctification? If you're taking notes, write this down. Sanctification is the lifelong, somebody say lifelong. It is the lifelong process of being transformed into a living picture of the person of Jesus. Sanctification is the lifelong process. It's not a sprint. It is a marathon that we're in to become a living, breathing picture of Jesus to our world. Let's go back to our scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, let's clarify something. This is sanctification. Being transformed is sanctification, 100%. But I actually think there are some misconceptions that believers have about the process of how this, take how this takes place. I think most believers have a very unbiblical and un unhelpful view of the, the road to sanctification. I think most Christians, if I'm being honest, have a understanding of sanctification that is me-focused, listen to me, it's shame-based, and it is achieved through striving. I'm gonna say that again. Most believers have a sanctification understanding that is me-focused, so I'm focused on my performance and how I'm doing with Jesus. It's shame-based, so I'm never doing enough. And then it's, it's, it's a focus on our achievements, what we are doing for Christ. And I sat on, I've sat in a lot of small groups with people. Been a believer for 11 years. I've been in a lot of small groups with you guys. I've had lots of coffees with brothers in Christ that are in this room. And can I share with you the phrase that I probably hear more than any other phrase come out of a Christian's mouth? Y'all ready for this? I've said this before. I bet you've said this before. Here's the phrase. I should be doing more. I should be doing more. I'm telling you, I hear that phrase from believers more than any phrase out of all the phrases that we said. More than I'll pray about that, I hear this phrase. I should be doing more. I should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. I should be more patient with my siblings, with my parents. I should evangelize more. Yeah, I, I should really tell my, my friends about Jesus. I really need to start prioritizing church more and serving. I should do all of these things. For most of us, this is how we view sanctification. It's the things we need to be doing more. If I do more God stuff, then fill in the blank. I'll be more blessed. I'll be more happy. I'll be more peaceful etc. Now let me just get two things straight right off the bat. Now number one is all of those things that I just listed are a part of sanctification. Reading your Bible, 
That's a part of sanctification. Praying, being a part of a local church, all those things are a part of being transformed in the image of God, 100%. And number two, doing all of those things will, in fact, put you in the best possible place to be transformed into the image of Jesus. But the issue I've got with the statement, I should be doing more, is this. It's the first word in that statement, I. That's the issue I have. It's not, this is where God is leading me right now. This is, where God, this is what God is teaching me right now. It's, I should be doing more. It's me focused. It's not focused on the power of Christ transforming me. It's the focused on the power of me transforming me to look like Jesus. Does that make sense? There's no thought into how God is transforming me or what God is teaching me right now. All you see is you, and what you end up uh, facing is, is just shame because you're never doing enough. None of us are always going to be ever doing enough. That's the struggle we face as humans, so we need something bigger. And so instead of beholding the glory of the Lord, many of us find ourselves in our Christian walk beholding ourselves. We're beholding all that we're not doing enough of. We're beholding the spiritual disciplines that we are doing, but we should be doing more of. And it keeps us from actually walking in sanctification. As I was uh, meditating kind of on this struggle that I think we all face as believers, um, I was reminded of a mental disorder called body dysmorphia. You guys heard of this one before? Body dysmorphia? Here's the definition of body dysmorphia. It's persistent and intense focus and shame and anxiety over perceived body defects. So this is basically the idea of a person who is so focused on one aspect of their physical body that they don't like or they think is too fat or they think is too skinny or they don't think is strong enough or buff enough. It's when you overly emphasize, you overfocus on that one thing and it causes you to live a certain way. Now, I love my father, I love my dad, John Wilson, to the moon and back. But I grew up not even knowing this, but my dad struggled with body dysmorphia. My dad, uh, he, if you've met my dad, he's in his mid-60s, he's like 63, and if you saw my dad, you'd be like, dude, that guy is a healthy individual. And you know what? You'd be exactly right. My dad, for his age, is an extremely healthy person. He works, five, works out five to six days a week. He does the whole intermittent fasting thing, juice cleanses. He does the whole nine yards, and yet, still to this day, sometimes, I'll hear my dad say things like, man, I'm just, I just got a gut right now. I'm like, dad, you look amazing. You look like a Greek god who is 63. <laughs> my dad will say things like, It'll be Thanksgiving, and he'll just feel bad about eating pie. And he'll be like, man, I just feel, I just stood on the, the scale today, and I'm just feeling really heavy. I got I to really push it next week at the gym. And I'm like, Dad, live. You are okay. You look amazing. I've been to the beach with my dad before, and I've seen him struggle to want to take his shirt off and show off his guns because he thinks that he's got a gut. I've seen that my dad struggle with this, this body dysmorphia. He's a perfectly, perfectly healthy individual on the outside, that's who he is. That's who he literally is. But for some reason, he doesn't see himself that way. He doesn't live like he's healthy. He's got this, this issue that we all face, I think, as believers. And so I've coined a new disorder. Y'all want to hear this new, brand new disorder that I invented this week? It's called discipleship dysmorphia. Discipleship dysmorphia. What is it? It's persistent, intense focus, 
shame and anxiety over perceived discipleship defects. And I'm telling you, New Song students, there are too many followers of Jesus that are living like this. Intense focus on what they're not doing. Intense focus and shame and anxiety on the fact that they could be doing more for Jesus. New Song students, this is not biblical sanctification. Yes, sanctification is a process of us being transformed, but when you actually look at the word sanctify in scripture, it doesn't paint a picture of a process. It doesn't paint a picture of something changing form, but when you see the word sanctify in scripture, we actually get a different picture. We don't get a picture of something changing and transforming. We get a picture of a declaration. I wanna show you this, look at this. The, the Hebrew word uh, sanctify is, um, is kadas, and it's defined as this. It's to set apart, to consecrate, or to be hallowed. So if something is sanctified, that means something is holy. Somebody say holy. So I want to show you two passages in Scripture where we see this played out. The first one is in Exodus 28, and this is where God is establishing priests. Well, lots of spit just came out right there. My bad. Good thing nobody's in the splash zone right here. That would be super uncomfortable. Exodus 28, check this out. So you shall put on Aaron and your brother and, your brother and his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. So this is God establishing priests. What are priests? They're mediators. They sacrifice for the people on God's behalf. They minister to God on the people's behalf. Now, when he says that they, are, they need to be sanctified, he's not saying that Aaron and his sons need to change into a different type of person. He's not saying they're gonna evolve into priests. He's saying they are priests, so treat them like priests. Sanctify them. They are, that's what they are, so they need to act like priests, and you need to see them like priests. I got another one. This one's interesting. Ezekiel 38, 23 this is God talking, by the way. Look at what he says. He says, thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself? Question mark. God being sanctified? What? I will sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. This one is interesting. This, show, this one should break our theological box a little bit if we don't understand what sanctification is because God just said he was going to sanctify himself. Does that mean God is going from like better to best? Is God going from not as good of a God to an even better God? Is he transforming from glory to glory or is he always glory, right? This isn't God transforming. This is God saying, I am holy, but the nations don't see me as holy. So I'm gonna do things to set myself apart so that people will see me that way. I'm gonna sanctify myself. It's not God becoming a better version of himself. He says, I am holy, that's who I am, so I'm gonna sanctify myself by doing certain things. We actually see um, a really awesome picture of this salvation versus sanctification in the Exodus story. Y'all know the Let My People Go story, Prince of Egypt. Anybody seen that movie recently? Man, good movie, y'all, good. You know that scene, this is totally off topic, but where they're around the bonfire, it's like, I like that song. We should do that every now and then. <laughs> Worship night, Maddie Brown. Let's get that song going. Bonfire, let's go. So we know this story. The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt, right? And they are slaves under a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph. If you know the story, Joseph found favor in Pharaoh's sight. 
the children of Israel got their own piece of land, but this is 400 years later. And this new Pharaoh, he actually doesn't like the, the children of Israel. He's afraid that they're going to take over because they're uh, populating so quickly. So he enslaves God's people for 400 years. And at one point, God says, I want to free my people. I want to sanctify my people. So he calls a guy named Moses. We know the story. Let my people go. Ten plagues, the whole nine yards, the Red Sea. God saves his people, and in a single moment, you know the moment they crossed the other side of that Red Sea, they went, their identity went from slave to free. That's who they were. They were instantly free the moment they got out of that sea. And this is a picture of salvation. Like the moment we become born again, the moment we give our life to Jesus is like us coming out of the Red Sea. We were slaves on the other side, but now we are sons and daughters. We were slaves, we were in bondage, we were, we were enslaved to sin, but now I'm a son, now I'm a daughter, now I'm free, that's who I am. Not based on my circumstances, that's who I am. And this is how cool God is. God didn't do that to then enslave them to himself. God did this for relationship. Exodus 19.4 says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is what salvation looks like. God wants to be in relationship with you. And sanctification starts from this place of relationship with God. It's not workspace. It starts from this place of God wanting to be with you and you wanting to be with him. Amen, New Song students? Now, they are physically taken out of Egypt. That's who they are. They are now free individuals. But God has to sanctify them now because they still had a lot of Egypt inside of them. Even though they were free, they still acted like slaves. Even though they were free, they weren't acting like God's children. And so God sanctified them by giving them the Ten Commandments. And you need to know that the Ten Commandments aren't like a stepping stone to holiness. The Ten Commandments are God saying, this is what holy people live like. This is, I'm declaring, this is what holiness is. This is what it means to be set apart. So you got to hear me. I know this is kind of a, a rabbit trail, but to be sanctified does not mean to necessarily be transformed into something else. To be sanctified means to be sanctified, to be holy, and then to now order my life as holy. That's a big difference. We're gonna get into that in just a second. So how are we sanctified? Somebody say how. How are we sanctified? How do we become more holy? How do we grow into a better picture of Jesus in our life? How do we become more free? Is it something God does? in us by his power? Is it something we strive for in our own strength? Is it both? Well, if you're a person struggling with body, dis or not body dysmorphia, we can pray, with, pray for you tonight if you do. If you're a person struggling with discipleship dysmorphia, there's a good chance that you swing to one of the extremes. There's a good chance that you think that your sanctification is 100% up to you. And if that's you, you're going to find yourself in trouble. And there's another side of you, and you may think that your sanctification is 100% up to God and his power. And if that's you, you're in a little bit of trouble. David Guzik says this, we don't achieve or earn spiritual transformation. We simply put ourselves in a place where the spirit of the Lord can transform us. Now, if you can see in that definition right there, both aspects are in play. We don't earn sanctification. All we do is place ourselves in the spot 
where God's power can come in and sanctify us. So this is a theological mystery. Just like the person of Jesus who is fully God and fully man, we're on our sanctification journey, it takes both God's power and our will to say yes to him. Wayne Grudem says this. I love this quote. The role that we play in sanctification is both a passive one in which we depend on God to sanctify us and an active one in which we strive to obey and take steps that will increase our sanctification. So number one, point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. How are we sanctified? Passively and actively. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that God sanctifies us, meaning you don't do it. It's God's power in you. God sanctifies us, and at the same time, we do things to place us in a better place where God can continue to sanctify us. It's like this circular reasoning. God calls us holy, that's who we are, and yet we have to choose to live as if we are actually are holy. And the Bible shows us both of these aspects to be true. That, that passage that we opened up with in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it makes it seem like God does all of the transforming. Because look at this, he says, you're beholding the glory of the Lord and you're being transformed. It doesn't say you're striving or you're working to be transformed, it just says you're looking at Jesus and you're being transformed. That's amazing, right? We passively are being sanctified. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit doing it as we look at Jesus. But there are other scriptures that make it seem like it's something we do. Look at this one, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, it says this, finally then brothers, we ask and we urge you. Paul is saying like, please listen to me right now, church at Thessalonica. I ask and I urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and, and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. So he's saying, I want you to walk like you believe what you say you believe. Act like a Christian because you say you follow Jesus. And he goes on in this passage to talk about abstaining from sexual immorality. And in this passage, it makes it seem like that's up to us. Like we have to strive to abstain from certain things. So this one makes it seem like sanctification is on us. So which one is it? Is it God sanctifying us or is it us sanctifying us? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, it's both. It's both. And really, it's both, but it's still just God doing it. Because our role is actually very simple in the sanctifying work. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. Wayne Grudem says this. It's important that we continue to grow both in our passive trust in God to sanctify us and in our active striving for holiness for greater obedience. Listen to this. This is so good. Lean in with me, New Song students. I want to see you lean in with me. If we neglect actively striving to obey God, we become passive and lazy Christians. If we neglect the passive role of trusting in God and yielding to him, we become proud and overly confident in ourselves. In either case, our sanctification will be greatly deficient. We, we must maintain faith and diligent obedience at the same time. Okay, I know I've been really heady with us for a second, but let's just bring this down to earth for a second. Y'all ready to bring this down to earth? Let's get practical about what this means to be passively sanctified by God and to be actively sanctified by God. Well, this means that, let's talk about passive for a second. This means that there are some times in our life where God, in his power and in his grace, will free you from something 
and you didn't do anything. Like, it's just, it's just an act of mercy. It's just God being gracious and miraculous in your life. That's passive sanctification. You've probably heard testimonies about those crazy people who were like drug addicts and just had this crazy life that you're like, I would have never known that this person did so many drugs in their entire life. And sometimes you hear these testimonies of people who were like addicted to substance abuse, addicted to all these things, and they give their life to Jesus. And in a single moment of salvation, their addiction is gone. Have you ever heard a story like that? Man, praise God, that happens. Yes, that is passive sanctification. That means that they didn't do anything. They didn't like set up boundaries. They just met the Lord there and God miraculously freed them from that. This will happen in your life, New Song students. There will be times when you're following Jesus and in his power and in his mercy, he'll free you from something that you didn't free yourself from. I've experienced this before. When I was um, 13 years old, one of my best friends showed me pornography for the first time ever. And from 13 to 20, I was addicted to pornography, spirit of lust, spirit, just a bondage, like totally stuck. And I tried for that seven years to free myself from that addiction in my own strength and saw zero progress, zero progress. But as I grow old and I start to follow Jesus and, and be sanctified, there was a moment where God passively worked in my life in this area. I remember this night so vividly, I fell into this sin and I felt the Lord inviting me to tell my girlfriend, who is now my wife, Haley. Somebody say awkward, super awkward. So I fall into this sin, I confess it to Haley, and I don't know how to explain it, other than the fact that a light bulb went off in my spirit. I received a revelation of what that sin is. It was like the scales were removed from my eyes about this sin. It used to be something that I wanted, that I had taste for, that I was tempted by, that, that, that was impossible to break from, but in a moment, it was like the scales were off my eyes and I saw this sin for what it really is. I saw it for being evil and gross and slowly killing me from the inside out. And I don't know, how, this isn't everybody's story. I don't know how to explain it, but from that moment on, God freed me from that bondage. I'm, eight, I'm on this platform, I'm eight years free, sober from pornography. And yeah, you can praise God for that. But listen to me, listen to me. I didn't do that. That was the Lord passively, or me passively receiving freedom from God in that area of my life. Now that doesn't mean that I still have boundaries in my life and I still have to work towards holiness, but God did a miraculous work in my heart and I passively received sanctification. This isn't gonna be our story on everything, but God, and, and at one point in your life, you will experience this, where God frees you from something that you didn't work for. But then there's the other side of the coin, the other side of the coin where we are actively being sanctified. We're actively moving towards this freedom from something. For me, practically what this looked like was me being freed from that fear of public speaking. You know, when I said yes to that call to be a youth pastor, it wasn't like the moment I said yes to being a youth pastor, I could just instantly preach and teach messages and like loved to be on the platform. Like, no, that took years and years of me continuing to say yes and putting myself on this platform and being scared and being uncomfortable, but knowing and trusting that God had called me to it. And so I stand on this platform today saying, 
that this sanctification that I've experienced, the fact that I can do this now is a testimony of active sanctification in my life. And you need to know, New Song students, that there's going to be times in your life where God wants to free you something, free you from something, a fear, a doubt, an addiction, but it's actually going to take some work and some obedience on your part. Does that make sense, New Song students? But we need both. In fact, I love this quote from Strawn Coleman. He's talking about prayer, but I think it works for sanctification. He says this, If God is a river of love, ever moving us deeper in the direction of his heart, then we can imagine prayer or sanctification as both floating, which is passive, and canoeing, which is active. I love that picture. If we're following Jesus, following God is like floating on a river, of love, and we're going deeper in our knowledge of God, that journey is going to include some paddling. It's going to include some working. But you know what? It should also include some floating, enjoying the scenery, like not just rushing through life, striving and working, but pausing and, and admiring the beauty of God all around you. And we need both in our role and our journey of sanctification. We're not just called to strive until we make our destination, which is, guess what? death, <laughs> because we're going to be sanctified till the day we die. Then we get awesome resurrected bodies, and that'll be sweet, right? Praise God. But we're not just racing for that end goal. There needs to be times where we are passively just like floating along and receiving the love of the Father in our life. And look at this. The secret, the key, the, the key to always being a state of being transformed, because the reality is we don't get to decide whether we're going to be passively sanctified or actively sanctified. That's up to God. He chooses that. But what we get to choose is being in the place where we're sanctified. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding. Somebody say beholding. Beholding the glory of the Lord. So listen to me, New Song students. The secret to always being transformed. The secret to, to going from glory to glory. The secret of never missing a moment where God wants to transform you is to behold. What does that mean? It means to take a careful look. It means to stare at, to study. Not to glance at, but to stare at. Not, not ourselves, but Jesus. Now some of us, our walk with Jesus doesn't look like beholding, it looks like glancing. We come to church and we glance, it's like we glance at the instructions on how to build a good life and then when we leave church, we close the instruction book and we get to work on trying to do it ourselves. But this is not what sanctification looks like. Sanctification actually looks like staring at the instruction booklet and then the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and helps you build your life. This is what sanctification looks like. I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Write this down if you're taking notes. It's impossible to look more like Jesus when you are too busy looking at yourself. It's impossible to look more like Jesus when you are too busy looking at yourself. New Song students, we got too many disciples struggling with discipleship dysmorphia. All you are focused on is the fact that you missed your being transformed journal this week. All you're focused on is the fact that you don't feel like you're as good of a disciple as that friend in your school or that friend here at New Song students. You're constantly comparing yourself to yourself or to other people, and I'm telling you, I'm urging you, New Song students, to lift up your eyes and fix your eyes on Jesus. Behold Jesus. When you do that, you will experience God 
God's passive work in your life and your active role in sanctification. Second thing about sanctification is this. How are we sanctified? We talked about this earlier. We are sanctified over a lifetime. This is important, New Song students. You need to recognize that you are sanctified for your entire life, for the rest of your Christian walk. Listen to me. There's always more you could be doing. There's always more that you could be doing. Now, if you're a person like me, this is kind of one of the not so good things about me, is I can't rest until I feel like everything's clean, all of my chores are done, all of my to-do list is finished. I can't rest. I struggle to rest when I don't feel like everything is, is perfect. I don't have all my ducks in a row. But as a believer, we cannot do this. We can't wait until we've arrived at sanctification to rest in God's love. No, 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 we rest in God's love as we are being sanctified. Are you hearing me, New Song students? You have got to understand this. And so can we just, I just wanna be real. I wanna banish this phrase. Can we banish a phrase tonight? I don't wanna hear any more New Song students say I should be doing more blank. I don't wanna hear it anymore in small group. I don't wanna hear it come out of my mouth. That phrase that says, I should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. I should be spending more time with the Lord. Because the reality is, I am a lot more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago, but guess what? There's still more I need to do. And you know what, 10 years from now, there will still be more I need to do. So that phrase doesn't even make sense because yeah, there's always gonna be more for you to do. So the question we don't need to be saying is what more do I need to be doing? What I would rather hear us say is this phrase right here. The Lord is showing me the importance of blank right now. Because you know what that takes the eyes off of? You. It's not you saying, oh, I need to be doing more of this. No, 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 it's totally different when you say, God is teaching me more about his word. So I wanna, more sp I wanna spend more time in his word. God's teaching me about the importance of loving my enemies. Not, oh, I need to be loving my enemies more. No, God is teaching me this right now. This is how we're sanctified. It's not works-based. We're floating down a river of love called Jesus, amen? The last thing is this, we are sanctified progressively. Meaning, in other words, you get better. You get better. The longer you follow Jesus, I promise you, New Song students, the longer you behold Jesus, doesn't mean you're gonna have better days every day. Doesn't mean you won't go through harder circumstances in the future. What I'm saying though, is that the longer you behold Jesus, the better you get, the more you look like Jesus. A, a discipleship journey is not ups and then downs, super deep, rock bottom, and then back up again. No, no, no. A discipleship's journey of sanctification is up. There's some bumps in the road, but it is constantly, progressively going up. And you need to recognize that sa the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, New Song students. So when you look at yourself and you think, man, I don't know if I can be sanctified like that other person. Well, do you have Jesus in you? Because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. And so the power of Christ is, the, is what sanctifies us, not your works. So New Song students, can we fix our eyes on Jesus in just a greater level this week? Can you do this with me? Can we get our eyes off of ourselves this week? Stop saying that phrase, I should be doing more and start asking the Holy Spirit, what do you wanna teach me right now?
Where do I need to grow? You tell me. I don't need to tell me where that is because I don't know me. Holy Spirit, where do you want to take me this week? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, new song students?